Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Cold Cases from Every State in the U.S. We are covering Kansas tonight, and if you're wondering if your state will be covered or has been covered, just go check out the playlist, and you will see if it has or not. We're traveling in alphabetical order, so if you live in Wyoming or West Virginia, I apologize, but it's going to be a little while before we get there. But... As I said, tonight we're focusing on Kansas. We begin with Jeremy Coots, who was only four years old when he vanished just a few blocks from his home. It was a Friday, February 18th, 1977. Jeremy was with a babysitter at her home and the babysitter's child, who was also four. At some time during the day, the babysitter allowed Jeremy to play outside alone, something she hadn't done prior, and it was during this time Jeremy went missing. The last known sighting was someone claiming that they saw Jeremy walking east from the house. After that, no one knows where he went. With that said, the search was on. Over the following five days, search parties put in numerous hours of work with hopes of finding Jeremy and the trail seemed hot for a short while when the dogs caught his scent, but the scent stopped at the bank on the Missouri River. The Atchison County Sheriff's Department closed the case, classifying it as missing, presumed dead, fell in the Missouri River. If this is the case, and it seems likely, Jeremy's body still has not been found, despite there being an incredibly large search. Next, we have the case of Jaquila Scales. She was sleeping in her bed at her great-grandmother's house in Wichita when she went missing. It was the 5th of September, 2001. Jaquila's great-grandmother, Maddie, settles in for the night with Jaquila and her brother around 8 p.m. At 12.30, Maddie woke up and covered Jaquila with a blanket, turned down the A.C., and heads back to bed. It would be the last time she saw her. Maddie woke up again at 3 a.m. to find the bedroom door open and Jaquila was nowhere to be seen. Maddie immediately searched all around the house, but there was no sign of Jaquila anywhere. She called the police around 4.06 that morning to report her missing. Following this report, the police began going door-to-door in northern Kansas, asking anyone if they'd seen Jaquila. Local television and radio began broadcasting about the missing child as well. The following three days were hard for everyone in Wichita. A local paper, the only one I can find that talks about this case, stated, More than 50 Wichita police officers look for the girl, along with the FBI, the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, firefighters, sheriff's deputies, family, friends, and neighbors. Further down the article, it states, No suspects have been arrested, and the department does not believe it's a case of parental custody abduction. More details about that night just add to the mystery rather than clear things up. Firstly, there was no sign of forced entry, but the back door was unable to be locked anyway. This led many to theorize that someone had found their way in, taking Jaquila from Maddie's home in the middle of the night. Eureka, Jaquila's mother, said that this would be impossible. Maddie's dog Bebe, a chow chow, is said to bark at anyone who walks through the door, including family. 
Jaquila's case is one of many that seem to have been overshadowed by the events that took place in New York only a few days following her disappearance. From what I've read, it was around this time police kept the case open but took on larger responsibilities, and I'm in no way shaming them for that. To this day, police are saying they're not sure if Jaquila is alive or dead, but are classifying her as endangered missing. Her case is still very open, and I encourage you to report anything you believe can help police find Jaquila and give her family the closure they deserve. You can report anything you know to the Wichita Police Department at 316-368-4646. Next is the case of Adam Joseph Herman. Adam was born as Irvin Groninger III, but was taken from his childhood home following reports of abuse. From there, it's said that he was adopted out, only to allegedly suffer more abuse from his adoptive parents, Valerie and Doug Herman. The couple adopted Adam at just two years old, and he lived in their home in Butler County with his two younger siblings. While Adam was schooled at home, his siblings were enrolled in public school. His adoptive parents were never charged with abuse, though Adam had been taken from them for a short time in the past, 1996, after bruises were found on him believed to have been caused by a belt. It was three years following that event that Adam went missing. According to Valerie and Doug, he left the house after being beaten with the belts, and he never returned. The couple never reported him missing for fear of facing charges for child abuse. This would result in the other children being taken away as well. They have also said that he ran away often and believed he was either living on the streets or had somehow found his biological parents. It's worth noting that during the entire time Adam could have been homeless, Valerie and Doug continued collecting subsidy payments, $700, for Adam until the day of his 18th birthday. The most infuriating part of this entire case is the sheer neglect on the parts of Adam's adoptive parents. It was 2008 when Doug and Valerie's biological daughter Crystal reached out to the SRS in an attempt to learn more about Adam. Their records show that Adam was living with Valerie and Doug until 2005, but this went against what they had originally told everyone close to them. They said Adam had gone back into state custody in 1999, the year that he went missing. This all unfolded around Thanksgiving of 2008, nine years after Adam went missing. For nine years, these two collected money, claiming Adam was still living with them, despite him being missing the entire time. Fortunately, when all this came out, the two were investigated, And while there were no charges of abuse filed, they both received time for taking state funds that were meant for their adopted son. Doug was given nine months, and Valerie was given seven. It's reported that the two had collected over $15,000 before they were caught. They eventually moved to Oklahoma, where Doug passed away in 2016. As for Adam, it is believed that he is no longer alive. However, Tawanda police are still taking tips and hopeful to locate his remains, so the family has some form of closure. In January of 2009, police searched the home and lot where Adam was last seen, but after six hours, nothing came up. 
Later that same month, they conducted another extensive search of the house, but still found nothing. Finally, in February of 2009, they searched the White River Falls following a tip. Unfortunately, nothing was found. If you have any information you believe can help the police find Adam's remains, do not hesitate to call them. You can contact the Butler County Sheriff's Office at 316-355-4254 and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-THE-LOST. Next, we have the case of Jackie Dean Hay, which begins on Saturday, September 12, 1981. Jackie was outside of her house near Colfax and Golf Park in Topeka, Kansas. It was about 4 p.m. when her mother sent her brother out to bring her in as they were getting ready to go out as a family. Unfortunately, Jackie was nowhere to be seen. Jackie's father, Alan Hay, wasted no time and called the police immediately, but it took them some time to get the search conducted, from what I've read, somewhere around two hours. There was only one person who say they saw Jackie walking down the street that day, a water department employee who reported seeing a young girl walking down the street with an unknown man. That was the last time she was seen. From there, the search was on. Police, firefighters, the Kansas National Guard, family, and friends searched the woods near her house, abandoned buildings. According to her father, they went everywhere. Little creeks and timber. Yes, there's a wooded area over there. I mean, if there was something there, I'm sure they would have found it. Tom Lemon, a detective for the Topeka Police Department during this, said tons of reports and tips were sent in, but none of them seemed to lead them to Jackie. The searches were called off around two weeks following her disappearance. There are only two real suspects. A man seen in a gray van parked down the street, however, he's never been found and identified. One man was pulled into custody by the police, but was eventually released after questioning. No charges were filed. The other suspect would be the man Jackie was reportedly seen with before she vanished. This man, too, was never found nor identified. Jackie's case is still wide open. It was covered by Capital Cold Cases in 2011, and it's said that tips pour in a few times a year. Unfortunately, Jackie's mother, Judith, passed away in 2007, never knowing what happened to her daughter. Jackie's father, Alan, is now in his mid-70s, and has said he believes the answers will come out. As he said in a 2018 article, I believe in karma. Karma will take care of it. If you have any information, big or small, you believe can help in Jackie's case, don't hesitate to call the Topeka Crime Stoppers at 785-234-0007. You can also contact the Topeka Police Department at 785-368-9551. Finally, we have the cases of Betty Cantrell and Sally Hutton. Betty was working early in the morning of September 30th, 1969. She showed up to the diner she'd been working at to begin opening at 2 a.m. and was last seen around 4.30 when a police officer drove by the dine-out cafe. No one else was scheduled until 5 that morning. When Betty's co-workers did show up, they found the lights in the diner off and Betty's car missing. 
A short search was conducted until they found her car at the south end of First Street near Creek. Betty was nowhere to be seen. She was 28 years old at the time of her disappearance. Just a few days later, on the 2nd of October, another young woman went missing. Sally Ann Hutton, who was only 15, was at a junior high football contest. Reports say they saw her leaving the event with a young man, though it's not stated how old the man could have been. It's worth noting, though, that many said they did not recognize him, at least from a distance. These two cases are often lumped together because of how little time was taken between the two of them. The day after Sally went missing, both of the women's bodies were found within just a few hours of each other. From an article the day after the discovery, quotes, The body of Sally Hutton, 15, was found in a roadside ditch just north of the city Friday, and about four hours later, the body of Miss Betty Lou Cantrell, waitress, was found floating in Elm Creek at the south edge of town. The initial belief was that these were both tragic accidents. Roy Emmons, who worked with the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, said in the same article, We're still working on the assumption that the deaths were separate incidents. He later states, We can't develop anything to tie them together. The idea of these being tragic accidents was dismissed after an autopsy was done on both women. Betty was said to have suffered, quote, two severe blows to the back of her head. Along with this, a few of her teeth had been knocked from her mouth. The blows to the back of the head were the cause of death. Betty showed similar injuries. Blood was found in the parking lot of the diner as well as facial tissue. Furthermore, the coroner said at the time that the injuries to her face were so severe it was impossible to determine how many times she'd been struck. One man did admit to killing Betty in 1970, but he was eventually released and never charged. The man was Jack Shoemaker. In an article published just a day before the jury made their final decision about Jack, Dr. Donald Nayer, a Menninger Foundation psychiatrist, evaluated Jack and concluded he was likely not telling the truth. From the article, quote, He keynoted his testimony saying, In all probability, he, Shoemaker, wasn't telling the truth when he made his confession. Later in the article, it states that Jack had attempted suicide just two and a half months before the confession took place. Dr. Nayer said, quote, the alleged confession to a capital crime could be classed as the same as a suicide attempt. Furthermore, A.G. Arnold, a clinical director of the Southeast Kansas Mental Health Center, was quoted in the same article saying, quote, I really wondered if he really knew what he was saying, implying Jack was far too intoxicated for a coherent thought. Now, over 50 years later, many online theorize about what could have taken place and play with the idea of the girls' cases being connected in some way. One Redditor by the username Gunny Saxon noted the steep decline in Iola's population following various cases of murder, one of which took place only 13 years later by a man named Nathaniel J. Smith. He took the lives of three people in a killing spree in the year of 1982. Could the cases of Betty and Sally be connected to him? Are they even connected at all? As of now, we don't have answers to those questions, but the search is still on for answers. If you do have anything you believe can help police in the search for clues, don't hesitate to contact the Kansas Bureau of Investigation at 785-296-8200.
I just want to take a second to say thank you to everyone who took some time out of their day to sit down and listen to these cases. I know it's never easy to talk about, but it's incredibly important to do so, and I appreciate everyone who takes the time to listen. If you have any information, be sure to go back and look at all the numbers listed in the video to report them to the proper authorities. If you'd like to read up on these cases your own, all of my sources will be linked in the description below. If you're interested in supporting the channel and joining everyone you see on screen now, consider becoming a patron or a channel member. It's a dollar a month at the least, and it really, really helps out. Thanks again, everyone, for stopping by for a little bit. And remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and stay safe out there.